Welcome to Voices from the Bench, a dental laboratory podcast. Send us an email at info at voicesfromthebench.com or look for us on Facebook at Voices from the Bench. Greetings and welcome to Voices from the Bench, episode number 17. My name is Elvis Dahl from Summer Dental Laboratories in Indiana. Hi, my name is Barb. Just kidding. Barb is actually on vacation this week. Let's just say that she is really on vacation, like an island with no computer vacation. Good for her. She deserves it. That just means you're stuck with me, so I apologize. We continue last week's removable roundtable. Last week, they gave us their thoughts on digital dentures. It caused a bit of a stir, and a few people reached out to me via Facebook and email, countering the roundtable's thoughts. Pros and cons both have valid points, and I want everyone to have a chance to share it. So I'm trying to put together some episodes where all sides of this topic can be represented. If you got something you want to discuss on the podcast, drop us an email at info at voicesfromthebench.com. Especially if you're a lab that does digital dentures. It's one thing to have the manufacturers on talking about it, but we want real people, real technicians in a lab doing it every day. So part two continues with Tom Zaleski, Brian Maurer, and Richard Wills discussing marketing, the future of finding and training removable technicians, and also the dentist-technician relationship. It's some good stuff. We cover a lot, so let's get right to it. King Arthur had his knights. Captain America has his Avengers. And dentists have their laboratories. These unique individuals have gathered together to entertain and enlighten all who dare to sit down at the round table and listen to the voices from the bench. Very true. One of the greatest things about this industry I've learned, not just doing this podcast, but it helped reiterate it, is how much we help each other. And yet we're all competing against each other in some weird way that you don't really acknowledge. But the vast amount of knowledge everybody has and is willing to share is just amazing to me. Well, it's so different nowadays because I can remember – Back in the day, in the in the early 80s, and I was trying to learn how to wax partial frameworks. At the time, I was a finisher, and I wanted to learn how to wax, and I would go over to my department head and want to look over his shoulder. He wouldn't let me watch. Uh. It was it, there was one of those things that were no you you know you have to figure it out on your own and it's just a different world today and I I'm just grateful for that. Yeah, amen to that, man. How about it, Rich? I experienced that when I first got into the all-on-four cases, trying to find a lab willing to help me learn how to do it. Nobody wanted to share because they all wanted to corner the market because it was something new. Yeah, and I pretty much had to learn it on my own. And now to have some new surgeons come to town trying to reinvent the wheel and trying to get me to change how I'm doing it and wondering why I'm not doing it like they do it in the big city. I just decided, wait a minute, I'm, I just want to be a lab tech again. Let somebody else go be the chairside technician. I think they call those dental assistants or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, that that's funny you say that, you know, because Rich got a good point there. You know, he pulled himself away be, doing that chairside stuff. 
And I never saw you. So, of course, I have a mail order business, okay? I'm a one-man lab, and I don't have one guy that could drive. It would take him three hours to get to me. They're my closest guy. But it never <laughs> made any sense to me why a technician wants to play dentist for less than a dentist dollar, but you still have all of the issues as far as liabilities and stuff go. And, and you can't nearly make as much chair side as you can sitting at a bench and I just never could have I know what the reason is and nobody really likes to talk about it but the fact of the matter is if you put another person in somebody next to somebody at the chair all of a sudden you can share the liability so that's interesting Tom none of your business is close oh no uh-uh uh, and by design I mean I'm like everybody else when I got out of school like I said I took I took everybody's price list in the Chicago land area and then I took an added 15% and started soliciting accounts. But, you know, uh, once I got a business established and I was working those, I worked almost eight years without taking a vacation. But I knew that the end result was going to be that someday I wasn't going to have to ever work like that again. Sure. I had to suck it up and, you know, grow a pair and, and, and <laughs> just get out there and do it. And I was 30 at the time, too. Remember, I went back to school at 30. So I, I couldn't waste any time. But uh, what I did was I did a, a little different than most is my work was driven photographically because I was an in-house guy working in an in-house environment, I should say. Uh, I saw the benefit of photography back when I would have to take, develop a roll of 36 and get two shots that were good. Yeah, yeah. But I, I saw the benefit because I knew that when I left the clinical environment, I was going to have to be a, have a way to be chair side so that uh, I could still see the patient, I could still have the interface, and I could see how everything did. So what I did was I developed photographic protocols when I left that in-house environment so that I could present those to doctors I work with. And then the next thing I did is I took all the pretty pictures that I got and did and took, and I put them in a portfolio, and then I started doing Google searches for, you're going to laugh when I tell you this, and I, and I tell this story to people who come to my lectures and so forth if they ask, and I've actually offered the information, but I put in highest median incomes United States, and that gives me cities with the highest median income city, uh, highest median income. And then what I do is I take each one of those cities and I placed dentist and then that city name. Yeah. And then I would go and I visited every website that a guy had uh, that was a dentist to weed out endodontist, pedodontist, orthodontist, so that I had G so I had GPs and prostos. Uh huh. And then I put together a policy packet and my beautiful pictures and blind solicited those people directly. I call it niche marketing. I found a niche, created a mailing list, and then. And then concentrated on those people. The one thing I didn't do, and most laboratories make the biggest mistake of doing, is I didn't send any fees along with all of those pretty pictures and with that policy packet. I look at it this way. Marketing is about reaching somebody's heart. So what do jewelry stores do? Jewelry stores keep all the prices down. They want you to look at and love and fall in love with the bracelet, the ring, the watch. Mm -hmm. And then they want you to ask to see it so that you can pick it up and then you catch a quick peek at the price tag to see if whether or not you love it that much. Yeah, I well, see where you're going. Yeah. yeah, so if I send pictures and I send a policy pack, and that would be policies like uh, how long it's going to take me to get something done, how I, I'm closed on holidays, how I uh, take care of billing and shipping – and those beautiful pictures with explanations and send those out, what I get is 
if I get a call back, I've gotten through the first stage, which is they didn't just go right to my prices and throw it in the garbage can. Mm-hmm. They looked at the pictures. They liked it. And now they're going, hey, where's the, where are the fees? And then they'll call me and say, hey, you know, I got them. Oh, you got the pictures. I said, hey, do you like them? Oh, they're beautiful. But there was no fees. Did you forget to send them? I said, no, I can send those right now. Uh, give me your email address and I will uh, email you the fees. This way, I've got their interest and they've looked at what I got to offer, and I, I make it past that first stage. So that's how I did it, and I built my business that way. Now, fast forward, I haven't done that probably in 10 years because my national notoriety and referral base has grown to the point where I don't have to do that. But, I mean, that's how I got it going. That's amazing. That's like the most specific marketing targeting <laughs> I've ever heard of. Yeah. Hell Yeah. <laughs> Who's got time to like send out 20,000 pieces of mail and hope to get 1% back? You know, Clyde well. Well, yeah. there you well, I mean there are <laughs> there are lab models that can do that. I don't have the budget. Does does anybody else have the budget for that? No. <laughs> I don't want that many accounts. <laughs> right. Exactly. But it's the right kind of accounts. Yeah, so what do some of other guys do to bring in accounts? Do you have marketing? Do you do the mailers? Anybody? Uh, when I got open, someone gave me at the small business development center at the local university, gave me a CD to watch on how to get a business off the ground. And the lady was telling the story of you need to make yourself memorable. They, they need to recognize you. So come up with a gimmick to help them remember who you are, not just another person walking through the door or a piece of paper in the mail. My logo is a tooth guy holding up barbells. It's just a thing, but it worked. And went around handing out little packets of here we are, here's how much we charge. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't do like Tom and keep the price list back. We just Wanted some business coming in. Sure. But we handed out candy to all the offices. And yeah, you send a mailer, it goes to the doctor's desk. But having done this several years, I knew that the way into an office was through the front desk. So we would hand out a bag of candy to the front desk every time we dropped anything off. And for the first several years of being in business, we became known as the candy guys. (laughs) You know, because I would hand deliver statements. Uh, I've been open 11 years. And for the first nine years of that business, I did not have any accounts outside of town. I drove to every office. I didn't have anything come through the mail. Interesting. And so I hand delivered my statements every month with a bag of candy. And it even went as far as I got a phone call one day from some young ladies at an office that said, we're out of candy. (laughs) I said, really? You're out of candy? And she said, yes. Can you bring us some more? And I said, well, candy's for our accounts that, you know, send us work. (laughs) And as soon as I have work from you, I'll bring candy. Well, lo and behold, 20 minutes later, the phone rings again and Hey, we have a case for you to pick up. Are you bringing us candy? Nice. <laughs> and I got there that account back. Nice. Interesting. So what about you, Brian? How do you bring in business? Well, when I first started, I spent four hours going around marketing in a specific area of town, kind of close to where the lab was. I didn't want to travel too far because I was by myself at the time. And so I Spent four hours one day and dropped off bottles of sparkling cider with my business card and a price list and, and products that I that I do. And I went back to the lab. The phone rang and 
that's all the marketing I've ever done. Sometimes that's all you need to do. And it's just been word of mouth from that point on. About five years ago, I had gotten to a point in my business where I was done. I was ready to leave. I was ready to quit. I just wanted to get out of the business because I had several accounts that I just had so many difficulties with that I just couldn't get them to change the the way that they did work. And from impressions to bites, midlines, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about, all of that. Uh, And I met with a business coach and for about a year, and I ended up firing 10 doctors and it was the best thing I ever did. Because I restructured my business and decided I didn't want those kind of bottom feeder accounts anymore. And I wanted to do the best work with the best doctors and just go strictly high end. And it was the best thing I've ever done. And it's it has taught me a lot. And uh, it's loving life again. Yeah. If you don't enjoy going to work, it's a job. That's right. Yep. I love what I do. That's great. Those those calls, you know, you get from Missy at the front desk at, could uh, my doctor's looking for a new lab? Could you send a fee schedule? Exactly. Yeah. My my response always is, I'd love to send a fee schedule. Please have the doctor give me a call. I'd love to talk to him before I do so. You know, and yep. you kind of weed out the those price hounds. You know, guys are just looking for price. I besides. He's the prescriber or she's the prescriber, and you got to make sure that you're going to be on the same page because nothing worse than going on a date with somebody you don't care for. Yep. Yeah, it can't all be about price, and unfortunately, a lot of people it is. It's good give and take and good working environment. Like I said before, I have a great deal of respect for clinical dentistry, but, you know, respect is something that's returned as well. Um, you know, one of my strengths, and I'm sure it's uh, Brian's and Richard's as well, is that, you know, a good laboratory does more than just fabricate an appliance. Uh, we're the go-to guy when there's a question that needs to be, or we see something that needs to be addressed. And we're able to articulate that because we're looking at their situation and the patient situation being patient-centered, and we want the best outcomes. And so, you know, it takes a special relationship where you can make recommendations that may sometimes call into question what's being done clinically. And I'm talking about things like missing borders and notches and just things things that you know aren't going to work. And I always say, if you could have done it to get a passing grade in school, why can't you do it clinically now? You know, because it's the same thing for me. I have to perform, but I make suggestions. I mean, I see a case and, you know, I go beyond the pale. I I go, you know, next time we get a case like this, we ought to do it this way. I'm looking for a dentist that goes, you know, Tom, that's a great idea. And I'll tell you, you know, over the years, because I've taken that proactive stance, I have uh, dental clients and friends who say to me, you know, when I first called you, I didn't really know how to take you. But, you know, I understand now that I actually like dentures now. I never liked dentures before I started working with you. And now I actually like them. And I said, you know why you like them? You like them because you get good outcomes. Because we work give and take. We're, we're a team. You know, as, as cliche as it sounds, we are a team. But, you know, in order, there's guys who bring the water bucket out on the field that are part of the team. And there are guys that hand the ball off to a guy to run the ball. And, you know, you got to make sure that you're not on the team as the water boy but more as somebody in the backfield ready to score yeah i always hear from dentists a lot that they don't want to do removables because they don't want to own the case they (laughs) don't want to own that denture and i always think to myself it won't be a bad ownership if you do it right right 
Well, you know, there's a lot of shortcutting that goes on out there. And, you know, you'd be surprised how many dentists don't even realize that a lot of times how their dentures are cured, how the acrylics are cured, mm-hmm. you know. But, the, but, but then there's a blanket statement that dentures don't hold up. You know, I hear this all the time. Acrylics don't hold up. Well, that's because they're being judged on maybe poor acrylics rather than eight-hour cured, high-impact type of acrylics injection sure yeah, i yeah. mean there's there's different ways to cure and you know i take i take technical calls for the last 15 years for manufacturers and believe me there's a lot of different interpretations and that's what i'll call it interpretations of how things should be done and i'm sure it happens all over uh maybe even in the fixed area but there's a lot of experimentation goes on in the laboratories and you know i always tell people if you just follow the ifu the instructions for use that will keep you on page but it's when People start to get creative and yep. don't know the chemistry behind what they're doing or they don't know the outcomes behind what they're doing is where the real problems start to happen. You know, there's a lot of talk in our industry about the removable technicians and them dying off. No one's continuing to teach new technicians how to do it, and it's a problem. Do you guys see that? Do you actually fear it at all? Well, I don't fear it because I'm getting ready to retire. There you go. <laughs> no, but in, in all seriousness, I have to say, um, yeah, it's it's. I see it as a, as a huge problem. Um, and that's why I think that the whole digital thing is, is really coming up because there's just nobody to replace us. And, you know, you had another question on here about, you know, how do you find experienced technicians? And I, I, I've put ads out several times and, you know, cause I, you know, I, rather just kind of take a little bit of time off the bench rather than retire. And I'd love to find somebody that would step into my shoes and kind of take over, but I just can't find anyone. And it is, it is kind of scary because you you wonder what the future is going to hold for, for the industry. And is that going to force me just mentally to maybe want to stay in the business longer? I agree with Brian. You know, my lab's here in Wichita Falls, Texas, And 20 years ago, the pool of people to choose from to hire was people from the military because the schoolhouse for all of the military dental lab people was right here. And so instructors were always looking for part-time work. So, you you know, you never never had to even look. They were always walking in the door. And now that that school has moved to San Antonio, I've spent the last two years trying to find a good setup technician and a finishing technician. And I have been through, I don't know how many people just trying to find one of each. Mm-hmm. Lots of people come in the door wanting a job, but nobody wants to work. Yeah. yeah. And, and trying to find somebody that wants to take that time to, to have passion for what they're doing and have the hand-eye coordination to set those teeth at the right line angles and to just look at it and know that it's right instead of, well, you told me to grind on the neck of the tooth to get it in there, but I'm afraid I'm going to grind too much. Well, too much is when you've ground more than you needed to, but not enough is when the tooth isn't sitting in place like it should and trying to teach them that. And oh yeah, turn your cell phone off and pay attention to what you're working on. (laughs) That's one of the reasons I decided I had been out of my office too much and needed to to come back home and run my business was getting phone calls. Why does work look the way it does? It's not your work. Well, it's not my work because I wasn't even in the office to look at it when it went out the door because I just 
taking my chances, finding people to fill the seats at the bench to get the workout, but the people QC in it didn't have enough experience to know what not to send out the door. Yeah. Just trying to find yeah. somebody that had passion for it. You know, if, if there was a store where we could buy passion and give it to people, I think we'd be set. <laughs> well, and, and here we are, you know, we're, we're fully experienced and we're willing we just we really have the willingness to train somebody to, to pass that that information and that knowledge on to somebody else and to have somebody not, you know, gladly accept that and be looking for something like that is is a little confusing. This discussion right here is about how do we find somebody and to be honest with you, the employees I have now, after I kind of weeded out the people that just weren't working for me, everybody that works for me has been a dental assistant in the past except for one employee. And he's a retired Navy lab technician. I was lucky enough to have him walk in the door one day looking for work. I go looking for dental assistants that are unemployed, looking for something to do. They already know the, t the terminology, the anatomy, and they know how the doctor wants it to look in the mouth. Sure. I don't have to find anybody experienced because I'm not really looking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Here's the other part of it, though. You know, I think we'd even find fewer dental technicians out on the market if we were really to define what a dental technician is. Because there's a, there's a whole ton of dental workers, I'll call them, people who know how to do certain aspects of a case, but they don't know how to do a whole case from start to finish. Right. And I classify those people as dental workers if you were to really look at technicians uh, it's even more dismal as far as who's there because anybody who's a real technician by my definition either owns a business or is managing one already you know exactly yep interesting perspective well it's just it's just the way it is but but then there's also light at the end of the tunnel because personally for a guy like me or anybody who wants to do things comprehensively, there's a spot I call the Amish of dentistry. <laughs> and the Amish of dentistry are, if you've ever bought Amish furniture, it's built and, and uh, constructed with all the best uh, fitting joints and the nicest cuts of lumber. And it's something that when you buy it, you hand it down. Well, you can't hand a denture down. But it, the point is that it's the craftsmanship from start to finish is what, and, and the technical resource that dental technicians can market. Because if there is, you know, if there's such a, you know, s supply and demand, if there's such a, a small supply, even if the demand has dwindled a little bit, which I've alluded to earlier with the lower normals, there's still people that want fine things. There are still people that will wait um, six months and pay $15,000 for a couch, you know, if it's made with something with the best woods and it's made by somebody who's a craftsman. Uh, you could buy a couch that looks like an arts and crafts or Amish piece of furniture that's made in a machine, but it doesn't last as long. It doesn't, it, you can't hand it down. It doesn't have, it's not cherished. So, you know, I've always felt that even though the experienced technicians have disappeared, the ones that are left, they're the, the most knowledgeable. And for employment opportunities, of course, it's dismal unless you find like Richard and, and Brian both say, you know, finding that right kind of individual that understands that you have to put in an internship before you hit the, you know, before you hit your full stride. You know, there's a lot of time involvement, a lot of overtime hours and a lot of concentration on what you do. Yep. We created this. And, and again, I'll go back to fees. You know, I'm big. You know, we should be getting more for what we do. And I get a great dollar for what I do. And I know Brian does as well. But we should be getting more. And, you know, this is probably a whole nother topic. But, you know, it's the way that 
dental cases are billed out is really the why we haven't been able to lure people into dental technology is because laboratories can't pay the kind of dollars that the people are really worth because they can't sell the products for what they're really worth. Yep. And if they had changed the way fee structures are discerned, like they do in the medical field, you get a radiologist bill, you get an MD bill, you get itemized bills for your treatment. In dentistry, they take what we do, they put it all in one big pot, and then the doctor decides what the adder is going to be for the product he bought from us. If the laboratory fee was separate from the clinical fees, you would see a totally different kind of dynamic. But they rely on taking what we do and marking it up nine times, ten times, whatever it is nowadays, I don't even know. I really don't care what my accounts charge because I know what I charge. But with that being said, if they were to divide those up and the patient paid clinical fees and paid laboratory fees separately, I think that laboratories then could realize a better profit and then could supply uh, the kind of compensation to their employees that would bring in people. I mean, I even laugh. You know, people say, oh, we got digital designers now for, for in dentistry, right? But if you were to look at what digital designers in other industries make comparative to what digital designers in dentistry oh, make, yeah. are you kidding me? Why would I be a digital designer in dentistry when I could go make, you know, another fifty dollars or $80,000 working in another industry doing the same thing? Absolutely. You, you know, I mean, I bring up i bring up these things and people like they either wince or they agree but but the fact (laughs) of the matter is these are the things people don't want to talk about it's interesting (laughs) and i i wish we had an answer yeah i do too i you know i i I do too i I think i i recommended one but do you think clinical dentistry is really gonna loosen loosen up and like allow the patient to pay a separate lab bill i'm not gonna hold my breath Yeah, because they'd have to jack up the clinical fees in order to compensate them for what they're marking up the work that's coming in the door for. Well, I don't want to collect from the patient for my work. Yeah, definitely. I I would have no issues with that whatsoever. (laughs) Not at all. Let's end this on a positive note. What's the positivity everyone sees in our removable industry? For me, I'm, I'm, you know, like I said before, I'm excited about the uh, the implant in- industry and how that's just taken off like crazy. And it's just, um, it's providing me a very good income. And um, it, it's actually, it's, it's upped my game because it's, I'm working with prosthodontists now, nothing against general dentists, but I'm working with prosthodontists who are really on top of their game and it's it's helping me to be more on top of my game. So when I charge that high fee for that hybrid or overdenture case, uh, I feel good about it. To me, that it just makes everything, it makes what I do worth doing it. Awesome. What I see exciting about being a removable lab is the fact that in around 2008, when the economy cratered and all the Crown and Bridge labs tried to figure out how to keep afloat, <laughs> us removable guys became somebody for the first time in years. Absolutely. And now we're on top and they're trying to figure out how to fit our workflow into their digital mills that they're milling crowns with. Yep. That's what I see yep. exciting about it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, hey, you know, as as much as I pointed out a whole bunch of things that, if you want to call them negative, but they're just facts of life. True. 
the, the fact of the matter is that it's still a wonderful, wonderful profession yeah. to get into. The get-in cost is so nominal. It's so small. I mean, really, if you're not embracing the digital technology promise, doing it traditionally, I mean, I literally started a business for like $1,500. Yes. But it's easy to get into. It's rewarding. It's really what you put into it is what you get out of it. Right. If you want to set up 60 dentures in a day, <laughs> you, you know, I I mean, that's, that's your prerogative, but for me, that's not joy. I mean, I could go put four screws in a circuit board and, and bend sheet metal probably for a better salary. But with that being said, I mean, there's a lot of great things involved with what we do. Think about it. You can't sell a car or sell a product or anything that has a greater impact on a person's well-being and their life. And, True. you know, if you seize that and you realize that there's a pair of eyes behind everything you make, uh, and if you can get in involved with the pictures and see who the who the patients are and, and you get that personal influence this is a wonderful profession if you know i had guys who said if i had kids i'd never bring them into this profession if i had kids i'd bring them all into this profession because it's not the profession it's how you treat the profession it's how you nurture what you do so digital or not if they can show me that i can make what i do for the cost associations that i'm making it for and i can make the profit and also deliver a product that delivers to the patient at a clinical perspective like they promise i'm looking at it but but you know here's the other thing i got guys going i need to get into digital because i don't want to get lost in it does anybody remember when computers came out you had to know code in order to use it (laughs) yeah yes Guess what? Guess what? All this digital technology right now is in the code phase. Yeah. I mean, they only make it more and more easier to use. User friendliness is what sells products. So it's a very hopeful for me anyways. I think it's very hopeful. And unlike Brian, I'm not retiring for at least 30 years. Oh, good for you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good since you're in your 20s, right? Uh, Mentally. I learned a lot. I think this was amazing. Richard Wills, thank you for joining us. I uh, I appreciate you coming in from thank Texas. You. Thank you. Brian Maurer, thank you so much. Interesting. I loved your outlook on things. I appreciate it. Thank you. It. Thanks for inviting me to join. I really appreciate it. I'm honored. Absolutely. And Tom Zaliski, you, sir... That's amazing. <laughs> I really enjoyed your outlook on things. And thank you so much for putting this all together. You're the one that got me in touch with everybody and put this group together. And while we had a whole sheet of things to talk about, we touched upon about three of them. So if, <laughs> if, you, guys, if you guys are willing, I'd love to do it again sometime. Let's do it again. Yeah, I think there's a lot more we can learn from you three gentlemen. So again, thank you for being on the show, and thank you for doing what you do. I think it's amazing. You bet. I appreciate it. Thank My you, guys. Pleasure. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Again, I want to thank Tom, Brian, and Richard for putting together this fascinating roundtable and sharing their thoughts with all of us. Do you agree? Do you not agree? Let us know at info at voicesfromthebench.com. Maybe we can have you on to tell your story. We would love to have your point of view. And for those of you that follow us on Facebook, you know that a while ago I got one Voices from the Bench t-shirt made. I'm a nerd, so I made one just for myself. I was a little selfish. A few people started asking me where they could get one. 
At the time, that was the only one. Then someone told me about bonfire.com. If you go to voicesfromthebench.com, our website, and on the upper right, there's a link to buy a Voices from the Bench t-shirt. How cool is that? And of course, all the profits made from the shirt gets donated to the Foundation for Dental Laboratory Technology. I'm not looking to make money here. Let's support a great cause. T-shirts are only $23 plus shipping. So please support the podcast while you're supporting our industry. And as always, next time you're on Apple Podcast, which you probably are now since you're listening to us, give us a review. Five stars is preferred, but just tell us how you like the show. We couldn't do it without you. That's all we got for this week. I appreciate you joining us. Barb also appreciates from her sunny beach on an island not thinking about us, probably. Join us next week. We have a great interview. It's actually so good, we call it Intervon instead of interview. You get it? That's a teaser. All right, we'll see you next week. Have a good one. Bye.